Well, over the la- over, actually over the last three months, as we've been walking together through the first 11 chapters of Genesis, we've been looking at the beginnings. And I hope that you have benefited from this as much as I have. We started at, really in the beginning of June with Genesis chapter 1. And we took several weeks in Genesis, Genesis 1 and saw that God is the creator. We saw the first man and the first sin and God's first promise to conquer that sin. We saw Cain and Abel and the first murder, the, face, the first sibling rivalry. And then we saw where man went as man rebelled against God. And we saw God's really first global consequence when he brought a worldwide flood. And that was last week when we saw the first rainbow, the first bow in the sky. Well, today we're going to wrap up Genesis. We're going to wrap up Genesis 11 today. And, and I'm kind of sad because I have just been blown away by the truth in Genesis 1 through 11. I've also been blown away with how relevant it is, how relevant God's word is. I, I keep getting surprised by this, but it's so true. You know, this week, all through the media, again this week, we saw what happens when people are driven by hate. We saw it. Again, we we saw over the last couple weeks what happens when men and women allow slight differences Better, 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 better. There it is. We saw, we saw the, the evidence and the, the fruit of racism this week and over the last couple of weeks. And I don't know about you, but I watch this and I grieve. And I grieve with what we do to one another. And I'm reminded of the heart of God. And he grieves. He grieves when we turn on one another. He grieves when we treat each other with hate. It's not his desire. But you know, the answer to this is right here in God's Word. The answer is the unity that we have in Christ. The answer is that in Christ we are brand new creatures. But one of the things that strikes us is, where do the differences come from? Well, you know what? Genesis has the answer. Let me show you a short video that will kind of point us to the answer there, and then we'll open up God's Word together. Each year, Americans celebrate Black History Month, which was started by historian Carter G. Woodson in 1926 and eventually sparked similar observances like Asian Pacific American Heritage Month and Hispanic Heritage Month. America is known for its great diversity of people from all over the world, and it makes you wonder where all the races originally came from. But whether we are short or tall, large or small, or light or dark, human beings are all genetically related, descended from the first human couple, Adam and Eve. For example, the molecular composition of our skin demonstrates the marvelous diversity of the human race. Skin color is caused by a substance called melanin, and the more melanin a person has, the darker the skin appears. Skin that has little or no melanin is termed albino. Light-skinned people sunburn more easily than dark-skinned people and have to be careful of too much exposure to the ultraviolet rays of the sun. But too much sun can damage any skin type, and the American Academy of Dermatology says that anyone can get skin cancer, no matter the type of skin. 
Skin color, blood types, DNA, and much more all point to the genetic similarity and uniqueness of human beings created by God. similarity. So there is no place in our hearts for racism. We have to understand that. And, and as we open up God's Word with me, go ahead. Go into your Bible to Genesis chapter 9 is where we're going to start this morning. We need to recognize that if there's any spot in your heart that has feelings of, of disdain or hatred for somebody because they're different, know that we are all created by God and we all descend from our parents, Adam and Eve and Noah. These are, these are, this is our heritage. And so the hatred that we see and we experience is not of God. Is not of God. Well, what did you need help with? Did you need help with something? You know, one of the things that I want us to see today is, is the fact that we all have need in our life. We all have need for mercy and grace. We started here last week. We saw when, when the Lord brought Noah out of the ark, and they had experienced the, the year-long flood over the earth. And now coming out of the ark are only the eight human beings and the animals that they had with them. And there was great need for grace, and there was great need for mercy. And God, in His wisdom, placed in the sky His bow. Now, you, some of your translations says rainbow, but in reality, it is the word bow. God placed His bow in the sky as a reminder that He would never destroy all of the humans again through these natural means. He's never going to do that. As long as the earth is here, He's not going to do that. His grace is going to be here. His mercy is going to be here. And life will be sustained. God desires for us to come to Him. Listen to this passage, Hebrews chapter 4. Let me just read it. Um, It says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Let's read Genesis chapter 9 and and understand here what is happening, okay? I'm going to start reading at verse number 13. God says, I've set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I'll remember my covenant that's between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Now let me say this. You know, as a friend of Noah, I wish the passage ended right now. The rest of the passage is going to reveal some sad days for Noah. And some sad days for his son. And we're going to see the reality in our lives. You see, the flood took out sinful man and protected Noah and his family. But what we're going to see here now is that the need for mercy and the need for grace is going to continue. And we're going to see things here that sound a lot like our lives. It's going to sound a lot like our lives. We're going to see in the rest of this passage the devastating effect of alcohol. We're going to see that right here in the Bible, Genesis chapter 9. We're going to see what it is for a father 
to see his son stray from the Lord. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna experience with Noah the grief of that. And we're going to see as we go a little further what happens when we come together as people, as sinful people, and try to do this thing on our own. We're going to see where it goes. But the, the resounding theme here is that we need the mercy and grace of Christ. Verse 18, the sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. Now, if you wonder why that's there, when Moses wrote this, the Canaanites were the number one enemy of the Israelites. And so Moses here is revealing that this is where the Canaanites came from. This is where all people came from. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Verse 20. Now Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Now Shem and Japheth, they took a garment and laid it on both their shoulders and they walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. And he also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. And then we see the end of Noah's life. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years And all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. We're going to see the need for mercy and grace, and we're going to start out by looking at Noah, a faithful man. Remember, he was a faithful man. He walked with God, and he was above reproach. He was blameless in his culture, in his world. There wasn't a word you could bring against Noah. He was known as a man of character. And he saw firsthand what God could do. I mean, you talk about growing up around God. The man built a boat for probably up to maybe 50, 60, 100 years. Walking by faith. And then he saw one year of God's judgment. This is a man of faith. And the thing I want us to see from this is maybe you're a man or a woman of faith today. Maybe today you'd say, I've been walking with the Lord for a long time. Maybe you've been around this stuff since you were a kid. That kind of stuff, right? You've known these truths. You know this God. You know this Jesus. We need to learn from the life of Noah here that even a faithful man and even a faithful woman, we need mercy and grace. There's a warning here. There are several warnings today, all right? There are several. If you're here today, I'm glad you're here. Today, God intended for you to be warned of some things. And the first warning is the fact that a faithful man still needs mercy and grace. Verse 20 says that Noah became a man of the soil. In other words, he planted a garden, okay? Now, we don't know how long it took after the ark for this this event to occur. We don't know. I know it takes a long time for a vineyard to grow up, 
to the place where you can make it into wine. Okay, understand that. So some time has gone by. And as man has done since the beginning of time, Noah took this, this grape, the, the, the fruit of this vineyard, and he made wine of it. And I wish the story ended there. On this particular night, it wasn't Noah and Mrs. Noah having a glass of wine after dinner at their house. That's not what's going on. Noah gets drunk. And notice what he does. He drank of the wine and became drunk, and he lay uncovered in his tent. So we don't know exactly what's going on here. I don't know whether, you know, Noah just walked in there and just stripped and went to sleep. I don't know what happened. But he's uncovered in his tent. Now, it is worth understanding that the word uncovered throughout the Old Testament has sexual connotations attached to it. It does. Something's going on here. It could be as simple as he simply passed out in his drunken state where there was more explicit sin. We don't know. We don't know. But his son's... Saul, his son Saul. I'm saddened by this. Noah, he's over 600 years old. This is not an accident, okay? It's not like, oh, what is this, you know, what is this substance? I will drink it and see what happens. He's a man of the soil. He knows what occurs with this, okay? And I'm saddened. He made the wine. He drank it. And as is typical, he sinned. What exactly did he do? I'm I'm not really sure. But I think we need to see the first warning here. The first warning is, and I would call it spiritual negligence. Okay, watch out for this. Let me just tell you what I, you know, I've been running around the church for a long time. I've I've been doing this for a long time. And one of the things that I'm learning is, I don't care who you are. The very best Christian you can think of is capable of the worst sin you can ever imagine. And there is a warning here to all of us. This is Noah. He's listed in Hebrews 11. Low isn't, but Noah is. This is Noah, a man of faith, a man who stood strong against the whole culture. All, everyone was opposed to him. And he fell victim here because in his pride, he didn't realize the danger that we have of not finishing well. My call to you is to finish well. Whatever your age happens to be, I don't care if you're 15 or 85, you keep going and don't quit. Finish well. Learn from Noah's error. You know, one of the things I I see is, I think, and I even recognize this in my own heart, okay, just speaking personally. As you get older, you can slip into thinking, well, that won't affect me. You know, 18-year-old kid, oh, he's got to watch out for that. But I'm 45. That's, that's not going to be an issue for me. You slip into that. And before you know it, it's another casualty. It's another casualty. I had, I had an, an older mentor of mine share this passage to me, Psalm 92. Listen to Psalm 92, 12 to 15. 
The righteous flourish like the palm tree, and they grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. Now listen, they still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright and that he is their rock. I love that. And the call here is to realize that we, no matter how long you've been walking with Christ, are dependent upon the mercy and the grace of the Lord. Okay, let's go on now in our passage here. So Ham now, um, interesting name, but that's beside the point, okay? Ham, the father of Canaan. Now, he's the father of many generations, but we see this one identified, Canaan. He sees the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Do you see it now? Somehow he peeks in there and he sees Noah passed out. And this is hilarious. He's like, hey guys, come here. Check this out. And he calls his two brothers to come and see his father in his naked, drunken, sinful state. So he observed, and he relished in it. I would say he was entertained by it. This was a hoot, man. Look what dad is doing. He is knocked out. Come here, guys. Check it out. And now what what Japheth and Shem do, and again, now this is kind of, Odd to us, but it, it says, by the way, in verse number 23, that Shem and Japheth took the garment. I find that interesting. It does have the definite article there. They take the garment. So maybe the very garment that Noah, Noah threw off as he went in. I don't know. And they cover themselves up, and just to make doubly sure, they back in so they don't see their father. Now, the thing that strikes me about that is this seems like a bit of an overreaction, doesn't it? I mean, come on, boys. You know, this is a farming society. I mean, they've seen what they could see here before, right? I mean, they got mirrors. You know, come on. Well, maybe not. But, you know, it's not like this is unknown to them. It's, It's not like they've never seen this before. But you know what this reveals? Our, our thought that, that this is an overreaction, might, it might reveal something very troubling about us. Think about this. These boys, when they see their father, well, they will not allow themselves to see this nakedness. They will not allow themselves. But quite honestly, you and I, I mean, every time we turn on the TV... Every time we ride down the street, practically, everywhere we go, nakedness is right there in front of us. Maybe, maybe they're not overreacting. Maybe we got a problem. Maybe the issue isn't, they're a bunch of prudes, relaxed guys. Maybe that's not the problem. Maybe the problem is we are so desensitized to sin. It's not a big deal to us anymore. It's not a big deal. It was a huge deal to these boys. 
I do find it very interesting that the, the author Moses here, he doesn't come out, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't rebuke Noah in what he wrote, but he rebukes the boy who's going in to laugh at his father's nakedness. And notice where this goes. Their faces turned backward. They did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him. How did he know? I don't know. Is it, it's possible that Noah was you know, sober enough to remember what happened. It's, it's possible. It'd be, it'd be very much like Ham to go around and tell the whole community, right? Wouldn't that be just like him? to continue bragging and telling this story, but somehow Noah finds out. And he says this, Cursed be Canaan. Now who is Canaan? Well, the author's been telling us who Canaan is. Canaan is the son of Ham. He's one of his sons. He's not, it's not his only son, but it's one of them. Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be to his brothers. And now we read that. And honestly, it sounds a little harsh. A curse? Noah is now cursing? He's cursing his own grandson? What's going on here? Now, let me just challenge you with this idea. It very well could be. This very well could be that Noah isn't, this is not declaring a curse on Canaan, but revealing a prophetic word. There's a difference. Follow me on this now. Listen, when a, when a strained son, I need to go to there, okay? A strained son, I, I skipped that. When a strained son needs mercy and grace, father doesn't enjoy that, does he? I'm telling you, I, I don't know anything. I don't know anything much sadder. I, I've been with people who's Spouses have died, who've lost parents, who've lost kids. But I don't know much of a sadder person than a faithful man or a faithful woman whose child has rejected God. That's a sad day. And I say to you, if that's you, don't you give up hope, okay? Don't you give up hope. God works miracles. Yes, he does. You want evidence? You. That's an evidence. You. God works. You've got to let him do his work. I don't think there was any part of Noah that enjoyed what he declared as God led him. He now speaks judgment. Not on to, by the way, not on the ham's life but on the son of Ham, Canaan. find that very interesting. I don't know why that is. I can't answer every question here, but I don't have to, okay? I I can think of several things here of potentially what is happening, but what we see is that this sin is a big deal. It's Noah's sin of drunkenness is a big deal. Ham's sin of disrespect and dishonoring his father and thinking this is no big deal is a big deal. And God here declares this prophetic statement through Noah of what would come. Cursed be Canaan. Let me say something about Canaan. All right? Let me, actually, let me back up. Let me say something that isn't true. You know, 
this was a favorite passage in the 1840s of your average slave owner. What? Where are you going with that? This was a favorite passage in the early 1800s in our country of slave owners. Because what people would use this passage to say is they would incorrectly say that these are people who are born with black skin and they are cursed to ever, forever be servants, slaves, to other people. Folks, that is absolutely incorrect. Number one, the, those who misuse this passage would say this was the curse on Ham. Ham is not the one who's cursed here. It is Canaan. And the Canaanites, I got news for you, were white. They were white. A lot more white than Africans. They'd be much closer to my skin than what we would see in the African plain today. That's for sure. So this is not any kind of a declaration of one race ruling over another. No, this is a prophetic statement of what would come. He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant, his, this, this, this grandson right there. May God enlarge Japheth, the other son, let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. And Noah lived, it's interesting here, Noah lived 350 more years. After the flood, that is, 350 years, and then he died. It breaks my heart that this is the end of Noah's life. Finish well. Okay, just to, I want to hit the rest of the Genesis 1 to 11. I want to be true to my word here before I, before I hit some heavy warnings. Genesis 10. Let's just take a look at that just so we get the spirit of what this is. Okay, it's usually called the table of nations. There are 70 nations here described. Okay, they are all the descendants of Noah and his three sons. And you can read through this. And some of these, some of these sort of nations, these ethnic groups are, are still today. Some of them are no longer with us. And you can read through this and see them. I want to highlight two, okay? I want to highlight two just just for your information. In Genesis chapter 10, look at verse number 9. It says here in verse 8 that Cush fathered Nimrod, okay? Now, Nimrod means mighty warrior. Bugs Bunny made it mean an idiot, okay? All right, he called Elmer Nimrod all the time, and that's why it became, you know, like an empty-headed fool, all right? You can thank Bugs for that. It actually means mighty warrior, okay? And he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. So Nimrod, okay, which doesn't mean stupid person, was sort of the, apparently he was the one that started this kingdom called Babel. Jump down, just, just, just interesting to me. Verse number 21, to Shem also. By the way, Shem is where we get the word Semite. You ever heard that term before? Okay, there's a whole group of people called the Semites. That's the descendants of Shem. The fathers of all the children of Eber. You see that word Eber? In Hebrew, it's got a breathing mark in front of it. So you don't say Eber. You know what you say? You say, bear. Sounds like Hebrew. Here's the first of the Hebrews. So the Semites, one of the descendants of Shem was a bear who became the Hebrews, and Abraham was a Hebrew in Judas chapter 12. And then we go a little further, you have Judah, 
And then Jesus was born from the tribe of Judah, so he is a Jewish man. That's where we get those terms. So it's right here in your table of nations, okay? Just interesting to me. Hopefully you find it interesting as well. Go down to Genesis, Genesis 11. And I want to see here what happens now. We've, we've already seen the faithful man. We've already seen the strange son. So now we get the idea, what if we all work together? Noah dropped the ball. Shem, you know, was a disgrace. I'm sorry, Ham was a disgrace. What if we all work together? Now the whole earth had one language. In same words, this is Genesis 11, verse 1. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen, which is tar or asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the whole face of the whole earth. Verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, I can just hear him here, Behold, they are one people. And they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth and left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel. Now, we've seen a faithful man, Noah. We've seen the son of a faithful man, a strange son, Ham both needing the grace, the mercy of God. And now we see what happens when man all come together. Boy, this is so relevant today. You know, we go out in the world and everybody's got an idea, right? Every, we are coming into the political season. And they're all going to know exactly what needs to be fixed for us all, right? If we just give them control, that's all going to come together and, and everybody's going to be happy. And we see here that that doesn't happen. I want to point out one thing that, that, that might strike you is, is pretty amazing, um, and that is in verse number four. I want you to see in verse number four where man goes, what man tries to do. It says this, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower that's top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. You see that expression there? I want you to turn back to Genesis chapter six. Let me show you something here that, that is just amazing. Genesis chapter 6. I want you to look at verse number 4. Remember the Nephilim? These, these people who were on the earth prior to the flood? If you don't remember it, we'll catch you up. They were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. And these were the mighty men, but which, by the way, God wiped them out because they were sinful, who were of old men of renown. See that phrase, men of renown? What does it mean? It means that they're important, right? It means that they're honored, they're, they're cherished, they're, they're important, they're, they're admired by all. 
You know what's fascinating? That same phrase is only used in your Bible two times. Two times. Here, in Genesis 6, and in Genesis 11, 4. In Genesis 11, 4. When it says that their desire was to make a name for themselves. We see what happens to man. And to woman, by the way, to mankind. When we come together, you know what we want? We want a name for ourselves. We want to be glorified. We want to be magnified. We want people to admire us, to respect us, to think we're awesome. And that's why we need mercy. And that's why we need grace. See, there's this problem that creatures have. There's this problem that creatures have. Whether they are a faithful man or a strange son. Whether they're one guy alone in his tent where nobody else can see. Or they're a whole mass of all people, all gathered together with one purpose, to make a name for themselves. Here's the problem with creatures. They don't like being creatures. And so they look for a way to kill the Creator. And so when He came to earth, that's exactly what they did. They rebelled. They cried out, crucify. And they nailed him on a cross. Because creatures on our own always hate our creator. Watch out for this. You know, Moses here in Genesis 1 through 11, he doesn't record every story that happened. But he records this one. He records this one. And I think we need, we need to gather from this what is indicated about the nature of man. Now, I want to take the next five minutes. I want to give myself some time because now I, I want to I deal with a couple things here that this passage deals with, and, and I'm going to step on some toes, all right? And so I trust that you're here and you've had a great day, okay? And I'm glad that you are here, all right? And I didn't know that any of you were going to be here, all right? I didn't know you were going to be here, but you are. Let me just give you a couple warnings all right, from this passage. I'll, I'll read to you Hebrews 3. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. The first warning I want to give you is from, from Genesis 9 in Moses' life, the warning of alcohol. Listen. Scripture is clear. And it is, we, we need to stop Lying to ourselves. We, we cannot, with any kind of a straight face, try to reason or argue against this fact. Alcohol and sexual sin come together. They do. They do. Now, we can, we can argue with that all you want to, but you and I both know we are old enough, mature enough to know that it's the truth. Noah gets naked after he gets drunk. That's the way it happens. 
And the Bible reveals that. Listen, I, I, I want to take you the time to turn to these, but listen to what Scripture says. Rejoice and be glad, you who dwell in the land, but to you, you who allow the cup to pass, you shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. Lamentations 4. Habakkuk 2 says, Woe to him who makes his neighbor drink, you who pour out wrath and make them drunk, in order to gaze at their nakedness. Romans 13 says, Let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies, that's sexual, yes, and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, not in drunkenness. I'm telling you over and over again, my heart is broken by this repeated story. Here it is. You want to know the story? Here it is. Well, Pastor Lowell, we know that you, uh, you probably think it's a bad idea for us to drink a little bit, but we're free in, we're free in Christ. And we, we're going to practice our freedom. And I can't argue with that on that. I can't argue with you on that. I understand that, that I can't turn to a passage in Scripture that says you cannot drink alcohol. I know that. But here's how the story works. Man and woman, they begin drinking a little bit. It gets a little bit more involved. And I'm telling you where it goes. Before long, often it seems in our culture today, he's at home drinking his, and she's out somewhere drinking hers. And it's a matter of time before they come to me and they say, our marriage is ending. So-and-so is having an affair. I'm telling you, it's happening over and over again. Don't lie to yourself. They come together. We drink. We have sex. We're embarrassed and we have shame. We want to escape. So what do we do? We run to a place called alcohol that will bring us escape, maybe. And we get blasted. And then we do it again. Over and over and over and over. Why do you think it is? That the, that the illegal drug use and the alcohol use of those that are involved in prostitution, homosexuality, illicit sex, are higher, higher than any others. Why? Because they come together. They come together. Now, I know what some are thinking. I know what you're thinking. I can, we are just, you know, we're at our house We've had a nice pot roast and some potatoes. And, you know, we get out a bottle of wine and we, we have a glass of wine. Okay. All right. Okay. But let's listen to what God's Word says. Ephesians 5.18. Do I have that? No. Yes, there it is. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. What is debauchery, by the way? It is another word connected to sensual and sexual sin. Huh, there it is again. But be filled with the Spirit. Now let me just do a little bit of teaching here so you can understand what it means to be drunk. I want you to understand what it means to be drunk. It's not what you get when you blow into something that the police get you. That's not what it is. It's not a certain number of drinks that you look up on the internet for your body weight, you can have this amount. That's not what it is. You know what it is? According to this passage, to be drunk is for the alcohol to affect your behavior. Now let that settle for a minute. To be filled by the Spirit, what that means is that the Spirit of God is affecting your behavior. And Ephesians 5 says that we are long, we are desired to be filled by the Spirit. The Spirit of God who indwells you, 
This isn't to be indwelt by the Spirit. This is for my behavior to be driven by the Spirit. And so the definition of drunk is for your behavior to be affected by the alcohol. Hmm. Now that changes everything, doesn't it? It's not what you blow. It's not how many drinks you've had. It's your behavior is affected by the alcohol. Remember Noah laying naked in his tent. And I'm telling you, if we'd have bumped in him at age 585, you can sticker at that. It's kind of funny. And say, Noah, is this possible? Noah, is it possible that you're going to be passed out in your house and your three sons, your adult sons, you're going to be there looking in the window, one of them, and laughing at you and calling the other two to come and enjoy this. Is that possible, Noah? And he'd say, no. That's never going to happen. Beware. Pride comes. Beware. Lest you fall. Uh, how am I on time? All right. Second warning. Second warning from this passage. Um, you know what? I'm happy you're here this morning. Um, I really am. And I didn't know you were going to be here, okay? So, you know, if anything I'm going to say right now it offends you, I'm sorry. But here's the second warning. What entertains you? What entertains you? Can you think about that? What was Ham entertained by? His father... The man of God in his life. The, the one he's called to respect. Later on, a few years later, this is put in written form, honor your father and mother. He finds it funny that his father's passed out naked in his tent. What entertains us is very revealing about the condition of our heart. And I know you know this. I know that. Be careful that you're not desensitized. I got another passage, I believe. Put it up there. It says this. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. That means to shine the light on them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. I love movies. You know that? I, great memories of my dad and me and my brother we go to the Tri-Towns Theater, okay, jump in the truck, and we drive to Tri-Towns. Carla's been there, and we'd watch a movie on Saturday afternoon, and it was a great memory. I love movies, and I can't find a movie for my family to watch anymore. Do you have this problem? The kids come on, we're like, hey, can we watch something tonight? And Nancy and I look at each other like, what are we going to watch? There's nothing for us to watch anymore. So we make them watch like movies from the 80s, okay, you know, and stuff like that. And we're like, ah, oh, that wasn't too bad, I guess, you know. Be careful what you're entertained by. It's a pretty good principle. It's a pretty good principle that we should not be willing to imagine doing what we already know God has said is wrong. If you look at a woman who lusts for her, you've lusted in your heart. If you feel hatred towards your brother, you committed murder in your heart. It's a pretty good principle that if we are imagining this thing in our mind and it's wrong, then we're, we're in sin. Watch out for that. And I'm out of time. I'm out of time. But the third one just 
Actually, I, I knew I was going to be out of time, so watch out for your best effort. Watch out for your best effort because it'll fail you. It'll fail you. I want to call you to the passage that Jonathan put on the screen for us. And it's, it's from another one from Hebrews. And it, and it says this, that let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Where? The throne of grace. Who's there? God. Who's by his side? Jesus. What is he doing? Acting as your advocate. Confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Why? That we may receive mercy. That you receive mercy and you'll find grace to help in your time of need. The call here is to understand the reality. That I don't care what our background is. I don't care how good you've been. I don't care how bad you've been. It doesn't matter. Compared to God, we're all losers. So it really doesn't matter. We all need the mercy and grace of Christ. Will you turn to him today? Will you turn to him today? In your heart, will you cry out and say, God, I know that I've drifted from you. I've got, my, I've got my eyes somewhere else. I'm leaning somewhere else. I need to lean on you for mercy. I need to lean on you for grace. He'll give it. He'll give it. His mercies, they're new every morning. Even this one. Even this one. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you've shown us in your word. Lord, it's been a good journey through Genesis 1 to 11. And I pray you'll take what we hit today as we look at this man who didn't finish well with a son that strayed far and a world that came together to oppose you that we will see our individual need for mercy and our individual need for your grace. Now listen, just as we prepare to worship in just a minute, listen, if one of these things we've talked about today is a struggle for you, you cry out to God in your heart. Are you being entertained by sin? Are you running to the escape of some alcohol or drug or something else to to escape from that? Are you dependent upon yourself? Repent in your heart today. And then you can worship brand new. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.